The name of this seminar is The End Time Biblical Calendar, Part 1 and Part 2. There is a biblical calendar, and we're going to see that. A calendar that was not known in Daniel's day, the Lord himself told Daniel that his book was sealed, that meant closed, the understanding of it wasn't available, until, he said, the time of the end. Well, we are living in the time of the end. The book of Daniel is not sealed, for those who are interested in seeing what it says, and it's very obvious. This seminar is for those who are serious about escaping hell and going to heaven. Let's look at the chart on the, uh, you can look at your chart or we're going to put the chart up on the screens. Okay, the king tried to kill Moses and Jesus, you can have a seat again. The king tried to kill Moses and Jesus when they were born. And they were both hidden in Egypt. Remember Moses in the Nile River in an ark? made of bulrushes, and Jesus was taken to Egypt to escape Herod's, Herod's death, uh, killing. Both of their lives began with the murder of infants. In, Israel, in Egypt, when Moses was born, they were casting all of the man, men, men ch- children into the river Nile when they were born to kill them. And when Jesus was born, according to historians, Herod killed 300 infants up to two years of age in Bethlehem. Both were rejected the first time that they revealed themselves to the people of Israel. Remember, Moses, at 40 years of age, left the palace, didn't want to be called the son of the daughter of Pharaoh any longer. And he went out and he was going to deliver Israel. He knew God was calling him to deliver Israel. He went out to begin his work and they rejected him and he had to flee. He went to Midian, another nation, and spent 40 years there. So Jesus obviously was rejected the first time that he appeared to his people, almost the entire nation. Both fasted for 40 days. Both instituted a Passover. That's Exodus 12. Most the references are on your charts. Exodus 12 and 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Both saved God's people from death by means of blood. Moses did so with the blood of a lamb at the Passover. Because, you know, Passover... Maybe you don't know this, but most of you probably do. Passover means the angel of death passed over the houses with the blood and didn't kill the firstborn. Passing over. Jesus saved his people 
from death by means of his blood, the Passover lamb, and instituted the New Testament Passover. Both gave God's people a tabernacle, Hebrews 8 and 9 explain it. Moses gave an earthly tabernacle, Jesus gave a heavenly tabernacle. Both gave God's people a priesthood. Moses gave the Levitical priesthood, Jesus gave the Melchizedek priesthood in Hebrews. They both are called lawgivers. In the King James Version, it could be legisladores in the Reina Valera. The references are there. They both gave God's people a law. The New Testament church today doesn't like to hear that, but we know the law of Moses. And, of course, Galatians 6.2 speaks of the law of Christ. His law is higher, has a higher standard than the law of Moses, according to the New Testament, not my idea. Both gave God's people a covenant. And it's clear in Revela- in Hebrews 12, 22 to 24, well, actually 18 to 24, Mount Sinai was one of the covenants, first covenant, and Mount Zion is the second covenant, the Lord's covenant. Both gave God's people an altar. Hebrews 13, 10 tells us that. They both gave God's people sacrifices that God had ordained. 1 Peter 2, 5 tells us that, that we're called as a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Both fed God's people supernaturally in a desert. <clears throat> Matthew 14, 15 to 21, the disciples said, Lord, this place is a desert. The people are going to faint from hunger. He says, well, you guys can feed them. <laughs> you know, five loads of two small fishes. So they, and of course Moses fed them in the wilderness, the desert, during 40 years with manna. Both the Old Testament and New Testament began with a visible manifestation of God. In Mount Sinai, God descended visibly on the mountain, but also day after day, the glory of God was visible in the tabernacle in a column of, of cloud and at night a column of fire. And they also, the Bible tells us that Aaron and the elders went up Mount Sinai. Most people aren't aware of this, but it's in, the, it's in Exodus. They went up Mount Sinai and saw God. That's pretty clear, right? So a visible manifestation. Of course, Jesus was God in the flesh. <clears throat> Both of them were willing to reject the thrones of this world. Moses was undoubtedly one of the heirs of the throne. It's probable, most likely, based on the Bible, that Moses was the heir to the throne of Egypt. How do we know that? Well, first of all, Pharaoh had a daughter and doesn't say anything about a son. A daughter isn't going, to, isn't going to inherit the throne. That never happened in the old days. They didn't have women empresses. Okay, so he, 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 it only talks about his daughter. 
but his daughter must have been very um, barren to pull a Hebrew baby out of the river and adopt him, wouldn't you think? And of course, part of the judgment of God on the wicked is exactly what the Bible says, barren wombs. The women have barren wombs. And so he probably was the heir. If not, he was definitely one of the heirs. But he chose to flee Egypt and didn't want to take the throne of the greatest empire on earth. And Hebrews tells us why. Because he had a heavenly vision. How many here have a heavenly vision? Or are we just living for the earth? We're not going to escape the world, the earth, Egypt, in these last days, if we don't have a heavenly vision, a motivation for doing so. Lord, help, help us. Give us a heavenly vision. Open our eyes and our understanding. Both Moses and Jesus led God's people on a journey. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 11, and Hebrews 3, and chapters 3 and 4. <clears throat> Symbolically, Moses lifted up a serpent on a brass pole. And that set the Israelites free from the poison of the snakes. Jesus, in John 3, 14, compared that event that Moses did with him going to the cross. He would be lifted up and the serpent would be destroyed on that cross. Amen? His poison. So we got 18 things that are exactly the same. How the Lord began the Old Testament and how he ended the Old Testament. Okay, are you with me? Now, a question. How, uh, we understand he is the beginning and he is the end. Okay, that's an awesome statement in many ways. But how, do you know what time it is when a new day begins? You don't know? You guys are really bright. <laughs> What time is it when the new day begins? I'm not going to keep you here till midnight, but I mean, you should know that. When is it? 12 o'clock? <laughs> 12 and one minute? No. It doesn't start at 12. Hmm? It is an infinitesimal instant. The end of the previous day is exactly the same instant of the beginning of the next day. Yes or no? It's not a second. It's an infinitesimal instant. The end and the beginning are at the same 
instant, not same second. Tiny, tiny little infinitesimal instant. Beginning and end are the same. Or end and beginning. And so when Jesus put an end to the Old Testament, at that moment he was beginning the New Testament period. You understand? <clears throat> okay. Question. Another one of those deep ones that nobody's going to answer. <laughs> I think you're afraid or something. I'm not going to bite you. <laughs> and if you don't know the answer, I won't laugh at you. <laughs> but I'm surprised that no one ever knows the answer. <clears throat> How many have a suspicion, at least, that since the beginnings and the endings of God are the same, <clears throat> that the beginning of the New Testament age will be exactly the same as the end of the New Testament age. Think it's possible? No. How many think it's almost for sure? Almost for sure. Well, at least we have more than 10. <laughs> We're going to see it's exactly the same. So this is one of the reasons why we know when the Lord will return. Because it has to be repeated. The end of the New Testament age has to be the same as the beginning of the New Testament age. <clears throat> Our, now I want to give you real quickly... <clears throat> And um, we don't want to keep you here long because we'd like to see you at 9.30 in the morning. Bright and early and awake. Completely awake. So don't spend the night chatting with your friends. Or you won't get this, the message tomorrow. Your friends might cost you the truth. And I'm serious. So don't let that happen. Get a good night's rest. And, but we're going to go for just a few more minutes, all right? You gave me, give me permission. As the Apostle Paul tells us, we see through a glass darkly. In other words, not with clarity. Fifty-three years ago, in 1970, I remember I could take you to the place, the house, and which room I was in. And where I was seated, exactly in that room, when the Lord opened my eyes to understand Daniel's 70 weeks, the most important prophecy in the book of Daniel. It was just like a light turned on. Well, of course, that's what it says. That's, nobody can say now to me, well, this means, no, no, no. It's right here, it says it. Well, the Lord opened my eyes because it was time for eyes to be open, not just mine. <clears throat> the Lord began to open my understanding of the last days and the calendar of the Lord. But, <clears throat> although I was seeing through a glass darkly, yet we will see in this seminar 
that God's calendar is, in fact, in the Bible. <clears throat> he does want us to understand it, and no private interpretations are needed nor accepted. Not, not in Hebrew ministries. Again, one-third of the Bible is about the last days. No other doctrine or truth has anywhere close to that much scripture supporting it. Nothing. No doctrine. God wants us to understand. Well, so why don't we? Why is there so much confusion in the church? One man I knew that might be still alive and was a wonderful teacher uh, in a pretty big organization. He said to us once, I can prove, using the Bible, I can prove that, that there will be a pre-trib rapture, pre-tribulation rapture. I can prove that there will be a mid-tribulation rapture. I can prove that there will be a post-trib, a, a rapture at the end of the tribulation with the Bible. Well, what does that tell you? Does anyone dare answer? <laughs> what do you think that tells you? Somebody. <laughs> hmm? Glory of God to conceal a matter. <clears throat> well, could it possibly be that he's going to use interpretations? Private, you think the Bible contradicts itself? No, it doesn't. He's only going to be able to do that through private interpretations. Well, this verse means, and this verse means, and this verse means. I know because I used to believe it and teach it. I know how the doctrine goes. In another time, I was giving classes on different subjects, and this time it was on the end time. We, we had a meeting, a small group, and a guy arrived as a visitor, and he was a leader in one of the churches in the neighborhood. And he made that statement. He said, I can prove with the Bible um, pre, po mid, and post-tribulation rapture. So I said, well, brother, we would like you to do that in the next week, the next section, the next meeting we have. So please come prepared to take the entire session and show us how you can prove all three. But we won't accept any private interpretations. Guess what he did? He didn't show up. Because <laughs> that's not possible. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. Amen. Why has, why has the church been so confused? With a third of the Bible about the end? How could we be confused? Well, for one thing, the devil, spirit of error, has invested more time in confusing the end time doctrine 
than any other truth. He has really twisted it because he knows what is going to happen in the end. Exactly what happened to God's people in the first coming. If you think this is an unimportant theme, the people of God in the first coming rejected the Lord himself and even called him the Antichrist, Beelzebub. And that's going to happen again with God's people. Forget the world. And we know how many of God's people, the church, so-called Christians, we know how many will fall away. Because both Amos and Isaiah tell us the same that fell away in the first coming. How many? 90% of Christians will end in hell because of the deception of the devil. I know there are those who believe in eternal salvation. If you name the name of Jesus, you can live like you want and you're going to heaven. That's one of the big lies in the church today. And I can prove it's a lie. Biblically. In many, many places. That's a lie. Just naming the name of Jesus or saying, I believe in Jesus as my Savior is going to guarantee you entrance into heaven. No, no, no. The Bible tells us obedience is what will guarantee us entrance into heaven. Not just saying, I believe in Jesus. Because we don't believe in Jesus if we don't obey him. Let me give you one quick example. Suppose you're walking down the street and you see a friend of yours that you grew up with. He's coming out of a, a building. It's a clinic. Okay? And he tells you, oh, the doctor there told me if I don't take this medicine, I'll be dead in 24 hours. And you say to him, uh, you went to see him? Don't you know that he didn't even graduate from the eighth grade? That he is a, a liar and a false doctor? He's not a real doctor. Oh, really? Well, if that's you, are you going to take the medicine? Hmm? No, you're not going to obey him. So what are you going to do? You're sick. Still no answer? You're going to see another doctor, right? A real one. Now, if you go see a real doctor, and he says the same thing, you do, if you don't take this medicine, you'll be dead in 24 hours. Well, guess what you're going to do? You're going to obey so you don't die. It's the same in the spiritual. You can't say you believe, but you don't obey. You don't do what the heavenly physician tells you you need to do. You understand? It's not gonna, it doesn't work. It's a lie from the devil that sent, has sent millions of people to hell. Living like they want to live, but saying, well, I know where, 
I know, a lady I know says, continue, well, I know where I'm going. Yeah, <laughs> full of tattoos, uh, immoral, living with someone else, being married. Oh, yeah, I know where, yeah, I know where you're going, too, <laughs> but you don't know. <clears throat> the heavenly physician requires obedience. Because if you don't obey him, that's because you don't believe him. You believe here in your head, but you don't believe with your heart. Amen. So we see absolutely clearly this, the same thing is going to happen in the end. And Amos and Isaiah tell us that it will be 90% that fall away. Paul said it will be a great falling away in the last days. And it's going to be a very great one. <clears throat> the Jews were confused. They were sure that a lion was coming to be their Messiah. You know what I'm saying. Uh, symbolically. A great man. Powerful. Rich. Charismatic. Handsome. A leader, a general, he was going to defeat Rome and set up the kingdom in Israel. <clears throat> and what came? A lamb, meek and lowly, who invited them to go to the cross with him. <laughs> a Roman cross. It was Rome that did the cross thing. Now, the church, by the way, man's works and thoughts and ideas, they're not re necessarily repeated, okay? God's works, his, they're repeated. Today, the church is expecting a meek little lamb. He's meek and lowly, and he just loves everybody. He wouldn't hurt a flea. Oh, yeah? He's coming, the Bible says, not as a lamb, but as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And the blood is going to run to the horse's bridles. And the dead from the Lord, the Bible says, will be from one end of the earth to the other. And specifically, listen, specifically, when the Bible says the earth, in the Hebrew, that word has many different meanings. It can be the known earth. It could be your own country throughout the earth, where? Of the U.S. or Israel. Or it could be the planet. But by far, 90, more than 90% of the times in the Bible where it says the whole earth, it does not mean the planet. It means an entire area that's known. Okay? I can prove that. It's not my theory. So, initially, the Lord Jesus Christ, he already said, that he gave the parable in Luke 19 about the ten ta talents and ten people that received a talent. And, and uh, 
and he said he went away on a journey to receive the kingdom and the people said, we will not have this man to reign over us. That's what happened to Jesus. They rejected him. Right? Put him on a cross. And he said, and the, after a long time, after receiving the kingdom, he came back. Do you know what he did? He, he gave a reward to the men that used his talents wisely. And then he said, and bring all those people that said they didn't want me to reign over them, over them and slay them in front of me. That's the line of the tribe of Judah. He's coming to reign, not to die again. Oh, Lord, help us. 1972, Sister Barbara and I moved to the Philippines to teach in a Bible school. We thought it would be for a long time, but the Lord spoke to us that it was for three years. But I could take you, like I told you about Daniel's, when he, the Lord opened my eyes to Daniel, I could take you where I was seated and in what room and where in the room. But I could take you today to the path I was walking on in the Bible school area, many acres. And I was walking toward the Bible school. I could show you the very step where I basically heard the audible voice of God, one of the highlights of my spiritual experience. The Lord said, if you want to know the truth about the last days, lay aside all of your preconceived ideas of which you're so certain and come to me in humility and say, Lord, what do you say? And what does the Bible say? <clears throat> and then he said something that shook me because I had believed it all my life since a young child. He says, for, so, for example, you are so certain that there will be seven years, a period of seven years in the last days, Show me one scripture anywhere that says that. Almost every book that I've ever looked at, which are very few about the end, or even about other things, I don't, I, I don't dedicate my time reading commentaries. The Bible's too extensive. <laughs> I don't... That's the only commentary we really need, right? Just what it says. <clears throat> um, there's not one single verse that talks about seven years in the end. And some people say, well, do we need a verse for doctrine? We don't need a verse. We just need someone to tell us it means something. This means this. Oh, and then that's the way it is. No. God help us to only believe what the Bible clearly says and in five places. Amen? Uh, how many of you have read The Final Victory? 
20, only 20? Well, it's still the book that we sell the most of, even though um, people say, well, it's an error, didn't happen. Okay, that's true. But there's a lot of things in there are, that are keys to understanding the last days, and that's why people still buy it. I would recommend it to you, not because I wrote it, because I didn't. The Lord gave it to us. And secondly, it needs one adjustment. One adjustment. There's a three and a half year period in the end, not seven years. It's all through, it's many, several places in Revelation. Only, the only time in Revelation is three and a half years. All you have to do is move it forward 30 years. That's all you have to do. The rest of it, I, I, will, I will stand by it because I know where it came from. Let me just give you a testimony before we finish tonight's session. <clears throat> I've told pastors and leaders for many years that they should take a piece of paper and sheep Take a letter-sized piece of paper, fold it in two, half. Put it in your Bible as a marker. And write on one side everything you've ever heard is going to happen in the last days. Okay? Not in detail, just tribulation, seven years, antichrist, temple rebuilt, all that, all those things. Then read the Bible for 80 hours. That's all it takes to read the whole Bible. How many times do we read it per year? I hope we, hope we read it every year. Most people watch 80 hours of TV every month. And they're gonna, the Lord's going to ask, did you read my love letter? Oh, I didn't have time. Well, <clears throat> use it as a marker. And then everywhere it says, in the last days, this will happen. Write the reference and just a basic summary of what will happen. Okay? <clears throat> Go all the way through the Bible. And in the last days, this will happen. Okay, that's going to happen. <clears throat> I think you're going to find out you didn't put any references by all those things you say you used to believe. Because they're not in the Bible. Most of the things that the church believes today. But by the end, you're going to have a pretty good idea of how the end will be. <clears throat> I gave that counsel to pastors probably 35 years ago. I followed that counsel, especially after the Lord said, come to me in humility, say, Lord, what do you say and what does the Bible say? I've been doing that for <clears throat> probably 35, 40 years. And now I only have about 35 pages with real fine print on just about every doctrine you can think about. And not just one or two references, 20, 30, 40, 50. Some of them 150. 
uh, small print on both sides. Why do I do this? Because I want to know the truth. I want to know the truth about eternal security and you can't lose your salvation. Uh, faith and love and <clears throat> Armageddon. Whew, there are tons of scriptures on Armageddon. Let's see now. They start, they start here and go that many more on the other page. Armageddon is very well defined. Don't ask me for a copy because I don't share it. <laughs> it's private. But it does affect what I teach because it's right here in the Bible. We're not guessing. One scripture after another, after another, after another that says what we teach, not just five, sometimes way more than five. Little by little, in the last 53 years since 1970, the Lord has granted more understanding regarding the last days. And it's all based on clear scripture instead of private interpretations. I want to give you this seminar with some additional understanding of the last days and what is going to happen. <clears throat> Can we know if he's coming soon or do we know the time of his coming? If anyone tells you, and this is a favorite answer, no one knows the day or the hour. If someone tells you that, ask them, have you ever read the Bible? Jesus asks, his, asks the Pharisees that real often. Haven't you ever read? Have you ever read the Bible? Are you, or are you just being a parrot that talks and repeats what you've heard others say? <laughs> when the subject of the end time comes up, <clears throat> not only do they say that no one knows the day or the hour, but they interpret that to mean, private interpretation, we have no clue. There is absolutely no way of knowing. It could be another thousand years. It could happen tonight. Let me guarantee it, you something. It's not going to happen tonight. But it might be your last night. <laughs> We don't have any guarantee. The Lord isn't going to suddenly come. He says, people say, well, he comes as a thief in the night. Yeah, we'll read two more verses. Paul says, but he won't come to you as a thief in the night because you're living in the light in the day. How could he come as a thief in the night to you? He won't come as a thief in the night to those who know the truth and love him. No idea, but you know something? That not only contradicts the Bible, it contradicts the direct words of Jesus Christ. 
Some of you might say, well, he might not come for another 100 years. Or maybe it's only 50. Or, or maybe it's only 20 or 30. I want to tell you what the limit is. From what Jesus said, not from what I interpret it to mean. Jesus said, you know, the Bible tells us that the fig tree is a symbol of Israel. Hosea tells us that in chapter 9, verse 10. The prophet. The fig tree is likened to Israel. And in the very same passage where Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour, he said, but when you see the fig tree blossom start to grow again, you know summer's near. In other words, in the spring when you see it pushing out leaves and new growth, he said, then you know. And he said, the generation that that happens in will not pass away until all these things are fulfilled. And the main thing that he's talking about is his coming. Okay, and the rapture. Uh, are you with me? Two more, five more, three more minutes. Well, guess what? Israel was restored in my generation. I was three years old when Israel was restored as a nation. He said, this generation will not pass away until this is fulfilled, including my coming. That's the main thing he's talking about. What's a generation? Is it one person? No, the definition of generation, you can look it up in the dictionary, is a multitude of people living at the same time. A multitude, not one person or two, not five or ten. The generation won't pass away. Um, I'm in my 80th year. So how much more time does my generation have? Well, most of it's going to be dead within 10. Right? Don't you think? Most of my generation, if, I mean, if I live to be 90, that's an old, old guy, right? And not too many people live to be 90. So my generation will be gone within 10 years, pretty much. The multitude of people living at the same time, that'll be gone. So we don't have even 10 years. And we're going to see the Bible gives us the year. Okay? And we'll see it tomorrow.